Well, good evening. It's good to see each one of you in the Lord's house tonight. Would you stand with me, please? And let's turn to page 530. Page 530. Isn't the joy of the Lord a wonderful thing? Amen. Page 530. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. We'll sing the first, the third, and the last verse together. Verses 1, 3, and 4. I have found His grace is all complete. He supplieth every need. While I sit and learn at Jesus' feet, I am free as free indeed. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Oh, the half has never yet been told. I have found that hope so bright and clear, living in the realm of grace. Oh, the Savior's presence is so near. I can see His smiling face. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Oh, the half has never yet been told. I have found the joy no tongue can tell how its waves of glory roll. It is like a great or flowing well springing up within my soul. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Oh, the half has never yet been told. Amen. Great start tonight. Amen. Well, it's good to be back in God's house tonight. Amen. And so let's go to the Lord uh, in prayer and ask God's blessing on our services uh, tonight. I'm going to ask Brother uh, Joe Quinlan if you would open us in prayer. Amen. Why don't you be seated uh, tonight? Do just have a few things here I wanted to mention uh, tonight. Of course, we are uh, getting close to finishing out the month of November and getting into the month of December. And I was thinking about, I, I usually write down all the announcements on my little sheet here, and December is probably the only month that takes up the, almost the whole page, amen. And, uh, of course, there's a lot of busyness and, and things and, and with Christmas time and all of that, uh, but just a real uh, blessing and excited about uh, what the Lord has for us uh, this coming uh, month. Of course, many of you know, uh, with the snow that happened and things like that uh, this past Sunday, uh, we were able to reschedule our missionaries, Tom and Gil Gritz, to England. And so they are going to be with us uh, this coming Sunday. And so they'll be reporting. He'll be reporting uh, during the Sunday school class. And so that'll be a combined uh, adult classes. Uh, and the teen class may come up as well. And then, of course, uh, he'll be preaching in the evening uh, service uh, that night. But uh, Lord willing, it'll be everything. It'll be our regularly scheduled program Sunday. Amen. Uh, so we'll have our, uh, our men's prayer. Our buses will go out Sunday school, Sunday morning, and then our Bible study in the evening and then the evening service uh, that night. Also, ladies, don't forget about December the 5th is the ladies meeting on Tuesday night. Uh, and that'll be at 7 o'clock over in the fellowship hall. And so, ladies, there'll be a potluck and then also bring a gift for a lady. And then December the 10th, which is on a Sunday, uh, going to be hosting uh, uh, Brother Kent and Miss Kathy Hogan. And so he'll be here preaching Sunday morning and Sunday night. And of course, I did mention uh, a few weeks ago uh, they're unable to get back into the country that God has called them to. And uh, so we just want to be a blessing to them as they're going to be here and certainly kind of realizing that God is shutting that door. And so it'd be good to love on them, amen, while they're here and be a blessing uh, to them. December the 12th, uh, which is on a Tuesday night, is the Faith Baptist School Christmas program. 
and that will be at 7 o'clock. And if you have kids in, in, in Faith Baptist School, make sure that you're aware that there are mandatory practices December the 4th, December the 7th, and December the 11th, all at 6 p.m. in the evening. So again, make sure that you are aware of that. And then always a good time uh, in the Lord there that uh, for the play uh, that uh, Tuesday night. Then Wednesday, December the 13th, is the, uh, well, Faith Baptist School Christmas break begins. And so they'll be dismissing at noon uh, after their Christmas party. And then uh, there'll be the annual business meeting, the annual church business meeting at 7 o'clock uh, that Wednesday night uh, in the evening uh, service. December the 16th is churchwide outreach, and so that is at 10.30 in the morning, and we'll be going out and doing some caroling, something that we've done the last few years, and it's uh, been a, a blessing to be able to do, and so we'll be doing that. December the 17th, which is on a Sunday morning, will be our junior church Christmas program in the morning service. And then also I uh, wanted to mention, been mentioning these two things, December the 24th, is uh, Christmas Eve, and so that falls on a Sunday this year. So we'll have 11, 11 o'clock service in the morning and then a 5 o'clock evening service, and that'll be the only services that we have that day. And then December the 31st is New, Year, or New Year's Eve, and that falls on a Sunday, and so we'll have our regular services throughout the day, and then we'll have a linger longer following uh, the evening service uh, that night. And so if you want to stay for a time of fellowship, you start staying too late. Amen. That's, that'll be up to you. All right. Uh, so and I don't know, our staff, we may all decide to go home and you'll just have to hang out in the parking lot till midnight. Amen. Uh, but just wanted to mention those things and it will have our bulletins. I'm sure we'll be out in that way. You'll have all of these things uh, down. Let's go ahead if you got your prayer list and let's go ahead and take those uh, out at this time and we'll do our prayer uh, list and our prayer time together tonight. I uh, did just have a couple of things here I wanted to mention. If you would, continue to pray for Brother Roy uh, McRae uh, that had the uh, neck surgery and has been healing, uh, healing up from that. And I uh, did just want to mention a couple of things. We got a text from Miss Sue McRae uh, this, this afternoon that they did decide to move Brother Roy out of ICU tonight. And so pray for that. Uh, it's just kind of a difficult situation because... He kind of has the sundowners and stuff like that with the Parkinson's and stuff. And so if you would, just pray for that. And then also uh, she asked if we would specifically pray. He's been having, uh, he, is, he has had an infection and the white blood cell counts have been going down, which means that the infection is healing. But she just wanted to ask if we would specifically pray that the white blood cell count would continue to drop and the infection uh, would heal, and I know that, uh, you know, once that happens, that would be a real uh, big blessing uh, there. Also had one other one wanted to mention, if you could pray, continue to pray for Miss Laura uh, Romo, that's uh, Brother Steve and Mary Parker's daughter, and uh, if you would pray for her, uh, they are going, if she doesn't have the baby before then, they're going to induce her on Monday, I believe it is, and uh, so pray, uh, pray that everything goes smoothly uh, with that. Okay, anybody else uh, have a prayer request or an update tonight? Brother Gary Park, Gary Waters. Gary, I've got, yeah, there you go. Okay, yeah. Okay. Okay, so this is Elizabeth Curtis and a friend of Miss Angel Waters uh, that's uh, five months pregnant and having some complications there with preeclampsia and stuff like that. So let's pray for this young lady uh, tonight. And then I saw um, Brother Raymer there. Amen, brother. I actually already did, so glory hallelujah. But I knew you were, I knew you were seeing straight, amen. So that's a blessing there, so glory. that's awesome. Amen. So sure thankful, though, that everything went good uh, with his cataract surgeries, and that's a real blessing uh, there. He, he is, he's seeing more than trees, uh, men walking as trees. Amen. So that's a blessing there. All right. Anybody else uh, tonight have a prayer request? All right. Miss Marilyn? Okay. Okay. So let's pray for uh, Brother Carr. 
the biopsy and everything that's already all been done that we've been praying for and so he's going to have a procedure on the 12th all right all right so let's pray for brother donnie carr and all uh, that so he's going to be all scarred up for christmas time amen brother don katanic sure amen all right so let's pray for brother katanik's mom and she's already on our prayer list there uh, a little past halfway on the second column there and just pray for family decisions and things like that so okay i saw some more brother raymer okay steve Mosier. so he's getting hip surgery uh, hip replacement surgery, huh? Mercy. Okay, so let's pray for him. Is that uh, the last name? Is that M-O-S-H-E-R? All right, I guessed right. Amen. So we'll, let's hear pray for that uh, surgery coming up. All right, Andrika? Okay. All right, let's pray for Andrika's mom. And uh, needs to be saved. Amen. That's a blessing there. So let's pray for that. Amen. Anybody else tonight? I saw. I thought I saw some other hands going up there. So. Oh. All right, Miss Georgie. Good. Good. So that's Miss Laura. That's your sister Laura there that we've been praying for that got, got into MD Anderson. And so praise the Lord for that. So she's going to be starting treatments on that. That's a blessing. So let's continue to pray for her. All right, anybody else tonight? We've got a lot of burdens, a lot of needs tonight. Amen. Let's go ahead and have our men uh, come tonight and uh, pray for these things. Amen. Let's see, Parker, would you pray for us tonight, brother? Amen. Amen.
song says, I'm so glad that Jesus loves me. Aren't you thankful he loves you tonight? Amen. Let's all stand together. Turn to page 83. I'm thankful that no matter what goes on, this is my father's world and he's in control. Page number 83. We'll sing all three verses together tonight. This is my father's world. Page number 83. This is my father's world. And to my listening ears, all nations sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hand the wonders wrought. This is my Father's world. The birds their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white, declare their Maker's praise. This is my Father's world. He shines in rustling grass I hear him pass he speaks to me everywhere this is my father's world oh let me never forget that though the wrong seemed off so strong he is the ruler yet this is my father's shall be satisfied and earth and heaven Amen. Great song tonight. Please remain standing. Get your Bibles ready for the message this evening. Well, praise the Lord. This is His world, isn't it? And uh, certainly uh, reminded of that on a consistent basis. What a blessing. Well, First Timothy tonight and chapter... Number three, First Timothy tonight and chapter uh, number three. I would say to you tonight this, that number one, you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Amen. You need to be saved. You need to be born again of the Spirit of God. And that happens through repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then after that, you need to follow Christ in baptism and become part of one of His churches. And one of His churches will be seeking to follow the Word of God. And uh, no, no doubt that's something that I, I think that has become very prevalent throughout the book of First uh, Timothy here. We know that Timothy has been left in the church at Ephesus to establish uh, sound doctrine. Sound means health, so sound doctrine is healthy doctrine, amen. And healthy doctrine produces healthy believers. And when you get into chapter 2, you see what healthy looks like. Healthy is godly. Healthy believers are godly believers, all right? Not, not worldly believers, but godly believers. But now we've gotten to chapter 3, and what I would say to you is this, is that where there needs to be godliness in the pews, there needs to be godliness in the pulpit. And that's where we get here, these qual- this qualifications of a bishop here that, that begin the first half of chapter 3. So let's look here. We've gone through some of these things. It says, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, all right? That means that he can't be accused of these things, but he's striving to have these things in his life. He must be the husband of one wife. That means he is a man, all right? You think that'd be a no-brainer, but that's, that's the day we live in. He is a man and he has not been divorced. All right? That's a husband of one wife. All right? And then it goes on down and talks about that he is to be vigilant. He is to be sober. He is to be of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. All of these things that we saw in the last uh, lesson. And now we're going to see this, not given to wine. 
And believe it or not, there's actually controversy about that. I, hopefully you got the sarcasm in that, all right? No striker, not greedy. Why can't there be controversy about that? Amen. I, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in, a, in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not... For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and, and the snare of the devil. So tonight we're going to see part three of all of this. And Lord willing, we will finish tonight. All right, Lord willing. All right, so let's pray tonight and, and ask the Lord to help us. Father, thank you tonight for the Bible. Thank you that it guides us. Thank you that it governs us. Thank you that it helps us to know what you desire from your churches. And God, may we tonight as Faith Baptist Church recognize that and be a church that seeks to obey and follow your word. Lord, may Christ be the head of Faith Baptist Church tonight. Would you bless the preaching now? In Jesus' name, amen. Won't you be seated uh, tonight? Now, for time's sake, I'm not, we're not going to go back and kind of hit on all of these things. I know it's been a few weeks, but you have sermon audio. You can go back and listen to those messages, amen. Because uh, I want to kind of move, move quickly tonight. But I do, I do want to take the time to remind us of a couple of principles that we have seen as we've gotten into each of these messages messages that that's worthy of bringing to our attention once again notice in verse number one it says this is a true saying if a man desire the office of a bishop he desireth a good work and i just want to remind us tonight that the office of a bishop is a good work the the world listen the world may look down upon the office of a pastor but that is not the case with our god all right, he says it is a good work. And, and though I could dive into all of these different things tonight, how we honor our we honor uh, police officers and first responders and military, to which I would say, good, we need to do that. Without them, we would not have our freedoms and, and, and the public servants that we have. I'm glad for all of that tonight. But may I also say we ought to honor the man of God as well. And we ought to give him the respect that is due. God certainly, this is the one that has the attention of God here. But really the application to us is this. Is that when the next generation begins to contemplate the will of God for their lives, it ought to be us as parents and people in the church encouraging them to embrace this calling if this is what God has for them. Uh, this is what I was thinking about when my son was home for Thanksgiving and our, and our daughter Taylor and, and my son got up and gave a testimony Tuesday night. And I'm, I, I, I was like, man, I'm you, it just it helped my heart. And it was good. But one of the things that I was thinking about was this, is that when he surrendered to preach, the night that he answered the call to preach in our missions conference when Brother Jack Parker was preaching, it, it, the first guy that he wanted to talk to was me. Not just because I'm his pastor, but because I'm his dad. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful, I'm thankful that, that he did. Because here's the thing, I'm glad, I'm glad he didn't have to hide it from me because in our home I was discouraging my children from being in ministry. Or, or because, you know, well, you know, I want you to go out and get a secular job and make the big bucks. No, listen, there's no greater calling than the calling to, to preach and the calling to be a, a pastor. And maybe may we encourage our kids if this is what the Lord has for them. But the second thing that is this, that though these are qualifications that have to do with a pastor, again, we must not develop the mindset tonight that these don't apply to us. All right? Because they do. Listen, you need to know. You need, to know, uh, you need to know them if there ever comes a time where Faith Baptist Church is in need of a pastor. It is the responsibility of the people of God to elect a man of God that fits these qualifications to be the pastor of this church. But secondly, 
this is what I always think about. When you look down through here, it's not like these are bad things. It's not like we would look at these things and go, yeah, boy, he needs those things, but I don't need. No, I look at these things, even if I wasn't a pastor, I would look at these things and go, man, if these are things that are in my pastor's life, then these are things that I should be looking at that need to be in my life. Because if this is something that God is wanting the example of the church to have in his life, then I would say that every child of God needs to be looking at these things and saying we, we all need, listen, everybody needs to be vigilant. We looked at this the last time we, well, why? Because I'm not the only one. Me and my family aren't the only one in a spiritual warfare. Everybody in here tonight's in a spiritual warfare. So we all need to be vigilant. Every one of us need to be sober and of good behavior and hospitable and, and apt to teach. Well, why? Be, because there are people around us, that around you, that you can win to Christ and have influence on Christ that I may never be able to. And so we all need all of these things, all right? But now... Now we get into verse number three tonight in our next, quali- uh, next qualification here. So, so notice here, he says, not given to wine. Now as already mentioned, all right, just as there is a debate with some of the other qualifications, there is also a debate with this one. This is what I thought about. The reason why people take a simple instruction like this and make it complicated is because we're always looking for loopholes around it so that we can ultimately do what we want to do. All right, so, so let's take some time here just for a moment and explain some things so that we are all on the same page. Wine in the Scriptures, all right, wine in the Scriptures can either refer to the fruit of the vine, which is grape juice, or alcoholic wine that has been fermented depending on the context. All right, does that make sense? So it depends on the context. Something else we must be aware of and understand is that because of the water often being contaminated in those days and the region was filled with a multitude of vineyards, well, that means that grape juice was a staple of the region. It was often consumed as opposed to water that might be contaminated. You ever hear, you know, you travel to a third world country or something like that, you'll hear people say that, don't drink the water. Well, well there's a reason for that. And, and it, so it wasn't very different in those days. We even went to Italy and, and, and somebody said, you can drink the water, it's safe. Why did they say that? Because that was the typical mindset. All right? And so that, that, was, the, that was the mindset in those days. And so because it was a staple of the day is why the Word of God is filled with warnings for God's people to stay away from wine. Listen to this. From wine when leaven, when leaven, which is a picture of sin, was added to it and it had fermented and become alcoholic. Yeah, you understand that? So let, let me, just for time's sake, you don't have to turn there. But if you, want, if you take notes, you ought to write these verses down. Because in Proverbs 20 and verse 1 it says this. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. You get the strong drink? So that means that wine, when it says wine is a mocker, and then it says strong drink is raging, well, then that means that that wine right there, that's talking about alcoholic wine. That's not talking about, that's not talking about you can drink a glass of Welch's grape juice and rage. Now, some of you might. I wanted orange juice. That's not. All right, you're, you're all right. So, some of you like you need to laugh a little bit tonight, all right? But it says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. Listen to this. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Is everybody, is everybody catching that? Here, here's another one in Proverbs 23, in verses 31 through 35. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red. When it giveth this color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. That's talking about alcoholic wine. Now, now here's why, because listen to this. It says, at the last it biteth like a serpent, it stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, and as he that is on the top of a mast. Everybody, that's the picture there. 
That's what it's talking about. And if you've ever had any kind of experience with alcohol, you would understand the Bible be true. But, but you understand, it, it's talking about all of that is implying fermented alcoholic wine, but it's also warning us and saying, stay away from it. Why? Because of the effects that it has on us. It controls you and it leads you into wickedness. Yeah, you understand? The bottom line here is this, is that the instruction in 1 Timothy 3 is that the man of God, uh, the man of God or any Christian for that matter has no business partaking of alcohol, period. The context is obviously one of alcoholic wine when it says this, not given to wine. Don't drink it. See, what people do is they want to dispute it and claim and claim that it's okay to drink a little wine because they go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. So if you're there in 1 Timothy, go to chapter 5 and look at what Paul says to Timothy in verse 23. He says, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. So here, I mean here, right here, explain, Timothy, stop drinking the water. And, and drink drinks a little wine for thy stomach's sake. But please catch, you know what Paul's talking about? He's talking about grape juice. And if you've ever drank, listen, I, this works. If you've got a nervous stomach, see, that's the way Timothy was. He had a nervous stomach. He had some stomach issues. So Paul's telling him, stop drinking the water and drink some grape juice, son. That'll help you. And it does, amen. Instead of Prilosec, drink grape juice. I'm just telling you to... All right, anyways, that's, I'm just, listen, I can, I can remember when I was first in the ministry, man, and I would get nervous all the time and be getting ready to go into the pulpit, and I think that there's some good there, amen? You, wanna, you don't want to fear the people, but you certainly want to fear God and have some reverence and be used of God. And I remember one time after we had had the Lord's Supper, and uh, there was a big jug of Welch's grape juice down there in the refrigerator, and so I drank some on Sunday morning. Man, it helped my stomach out a lot. And next thing you know, I'm drinking grape juice all the time. Amen? So now I just drink coffee and have a Prilosec, all right? But I'm just saying to you, all right? So you, you understand. But, here, but here's, listen, listen, Paul's not implying have a social drink. That's not, no, 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 no. Even a social drink would be dangerous. It would call Timothy's testimony into question. It would disagree with the bulk of scriptures that warn people to stay away from alcohol. And, and anyone who has had any affiliation with alcohol, then you know this. A social drink only leads to more drinking. All right? There's, listen, it, it, it's, a shame. it's a shame when you, we have to defend simple instruction like this in 1 Timothy 3. Because here's why. Look at our society today. Look at the damage that is being done by alcohol. And I've given this testimony before. But I can remember when I was pastoring in Cassville in one of the families in the church, their son was a Missouri State Trooper that lived in the area. So I did a ride-along on Saturday night, which was the first mistake right there, amen. Because then I had to preach the next morning, all right. Uh, but I did a ride-along, and we, were, we, were, we had dealt with several different calls. And, and, I said, and I turned around and I asked him, I said, I said, bro, I said brother, I said, let me ask you something. I said, how, how many of your calls, because every one of them were alcohol related. Somebody got drunk, did something dumb, we got to go there. All right? And I said, brother, let me ask you something. I said, is this what you deal with all night? How many of your calls are alcohol related? He said, preacher, he said, well over 90% are alcohol related. Do you know, if people just quit drinking alcohol, the, the cops would probably have very little to do. They quit, if they quit looking to every substance under the sun to escape their reality and just get right with God. You understand what I'm saying? But, but here, and by the way, in here, think about this. There's also a greater application or a thought here. Because alcohol is addictive due to our sin nature. It feeds the flesh. It gives us an escape from reality. It, it, it. It, it's, a, it's an avenue, it's an avenue that the world uses to cope with life's problems. And, and so both the pastor and even the Christian must be aware of this and really learn to abstain from any and all vices 
that would do the same as alcohol. Because here's the thing. If we abstain from alcohol, but we cope with something else that's temporal, then the reality is we, we become hypocritical, don't we? Hey, listen, it's, hey, it's, it's great that the man of God doesn't drink and he doesn't smoke, but, but, but if he deals with his stress by, by overeating and he becomes so overweight he can't do the work of the ministry, that's hypocritical. You understand what I'm saying? So we've got, you understand, that's the greater thought here. What, what I'm trying to say is, is this, is that in essence something like food becomes his wine. And you, we must, we, he must remain disciplined. And, and here's the thing, and he's got to learn to look to God to deal with all of his issues. And to trust God through those things. And by the way, this isn't just good for the pastor, this is, just, this is good for everybody. That we've got to learn how the flesh works. And how we, well, we, because here's the thing, we'd say, oh, I don't drink and I don't smoke, but yet we'll indulge in some other area that might seem okay to culture and, and society. But the reality is that too may not be good for us health-wise, and we've got to be careful of those kind of things. Now, we've got to move on here and, and move on to the next thing before we get to meddling too much after Thanksgiving. Because he says not given to wine, but now he says no striker. Let's just skip that one altogether too, amen? It's... No, it's, this literally means that a pastor cannot settle disputes with his fist. That's what it means. Now, he'd like to put some people in the headlock and drag them to the altar and get them right with God. But it don't work that way, does it? Because it wouldn't be real. This does not mean, this does not mean that a pastor cannot, this does not mean that a pastor cannot defend himself when being robbed or attacked for no reason. It's not what that means. As a father and as a husband, he most certainly has that responsibility to protect his home and his family. Okay? But when being persecuted for the faith or attacked in his position as a pastor, well, we got to turn the other cheek like the Lord Jesus Christ did. And that doesn't mean punch them and turn their cheek. All right, that's, that's not what that means. The reason for this is that the pastor must know and understand that the battle he faces is not a fleshly one, but a spiritual one. It's not one with his fist, but rather it's one by being on his knees in prayer. And also keep in mind, it's kind of like what one of my men said to me when I was in Cassville one time, and somebody was messing with me, and he said, Preacher, he said, you can't be a striker, but that don't mean I can't. I was like, I like that. You understand, there ought to be some good wolf dogs in the church. Let me say that again. There ought to be some good wolf dogs in the church that can take care of wolves who desire to devour the sheep and do harm to the shepherd and his family. And let me say this, and please, please understand this tonight. I don't say that in a prideful manner at all. I say that with an understanding that we're in a culture today where some people cannot be reasoned with through words because they're so evil and they're so wicked. I, I remember one time I was preaching a revival meeting and two guys came into the service drunk and probably on some other things as well. And they sat down in the back pew and I had no idea what was going on. My family and I were sitting over here. We were just sitting in the service and they, they were doing the song service. And I had no idea until later and the pastor told me, he said that one of them, they came in and they dared each other. They said, I bet you won't be able to go up on the platform and stand next to the preacher and one of the guys walked all the way down the side of the building and walked up on the platform, put his arm around the man of God and smiled and walked back to the pew. And I came back after that meeting and I looked at our men and I said, that better not ever happen in Bible Baptist Church when I was pastoring in Cassville. I said, he should, if he makes it about the first or second pew, one of our men ought to be tackling him. Exactly. He shouldn't. That's wicked and that's ungodly. And I... And I don't care if they were having fun or whatever and they were harmless, so to speak. But I'm telling you, those kind of things shouldn't happen, especially in our day and time when we got people walking into churches and trying to shoot people. That shouldn't happen. And we ought to have wolf dogs in this church looking out for the people of God and the man of God and his family. Somebody say amen tonight. That shouldn't, that sh those things should, should uh, we, we ought to be protecting one another and, and those kind of things. Now, I... So I cannot be a striker, but men in this church certainly can be. Now, let me move on to the next thing, because y'all are about to get me wound up. You're so quiet tonight. We ought to be saying amen on stuff like this. 
He, he has noticed the next thing here. So he's not given to wine. He's no striker. And also this, he's not greedy of filthy lucre. Filthy lucre is obviously money. And here's the thing. Money is not evil in and of itself. It's a tool. It's an it's a, it's a unemotional and inanimate object just like anything else. Money in and of itself is not evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil according to 1 Timothy 6.10. All right? So, but, but here's the thing. This applies to the man of God as well. Won't you listen to this? The two biggest downfalls of preachers today are women and money. Women and money. The eagerness for material gain can motivate a man to do some wicked things, even a man of God. Even to the point of embezzling money from the church. I'm going to tell you something tonight. That is wicked. That, listen, it is, this is the way I've always looked at it, and I always will. When, when money comes into the house of the Lord, that is not man's money, that is God's money. That is God's money, and it's to be used for the glory of God. And what I have always said is this, my best advice for young preachers is to have as much accountability as you can in your life. When it comes to social networks and internet use, have accountability. But when it comes to handling the finances of the church, guess what? Have accountability. That is what deacons are for. That is what trustees are for. That is what treasurers are for. Have accountability. Have rules and accountability that protects you, that keeps you from doing something that would be evil. And, and listen, and here's the thing. And if you're in ministry to pad your pockets with the almighty dollar, you shouldn't be in ministry. <laughs> Number one, you ain't going to make much. <laughs> I remember when, when I became the pastor at Bible Baptist Church and the men sat down and they were puffing their chests out how much they could pay the pastor. And I didn't, I didn't have the... I didn't, I didn't have the, I didn't want to bust their balloon and tell them I was taking a pay cut from being a welder to be a pastor. Bless their heart. They were so proud of Anyways. I've said, listen, I've seen guys leave the pastorate and take another and not even pray about it. And the reason is because, and the reason is because it was a bigger church with more money. And, and rather than being concerned with the will of God, they were concerned with the money. I've also seen guys quit the ministry over money because it wasn't enough. And so instead of working a part-time job or a full-time job to supplement their income, they just gave up altogether. And, and while I'm on the subject, let me say this. I've seen guys quit the ministry or do ungodly things with God's money not because they, not because they felt like they weren't making enough money, but because it wasn't enough money for their wives. Because she was too high maintenance or discontented or demanding. I'm glad my wife's not like I'm, I'm very thankful for that. And I'm, and so, but you understand, I've, just, I've seen that. One of the greatest decisions that you could ever make as a family or in ministry or even as a Christian, as an individual Christian tonight, is when you decide money is not everything. And when you... Listen, because the culture constantly sends the message... That what should, what should drive our decision making is money. Let, let me help you with this tonight. No. You know what ought to drive your decision making? Obedience to the Word of God. That's what ought to drive your decision making. L listen to this. It's like Solomon said in Proverbs 13, 7. There is that, there is that, uh, there is, there is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. Did you catch that? I'd, I'd rather take a job making less money so my family could be in church on Sundays and Wednesdays than to make more money and miss church. I'd rather, I'd rather take a job making less money than to move somewhere where there is no good church. Yet make more money. You, listen, you want to destroy your marriage and you want to destroy your family and your children... Let lucre, let lucre drive your decision making. It'll wreck you. It'll ruin you. I'm just telling you right now. But if you want to grow in your faith exponentially and you want to be used in a mighty way, then let spiritual things drive your decisions. 
and watch what God does. And that's exactly what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, you instruct the man of God that's going to be the pastor. This is something he has to do in his life. He has to let the Bible guide his decisions and let God supply his needs. In fact, notice the next thing. He says this. He says, not, he says, not greedy of filthy lucre. And then he says this, but patient, not a brawler. And we often think of the term brawler as one who fights with his fist like a striker. However, brawler implies any type of fighting or contention. It is one that is quarrelsome, all right, and always seeking to cause strife. One that is looking for a fight, all right? That, that is a brawler, and, and he's childish and immature. It responds to everything by lashing out in, in, in anger. Rather, he is to be patient, which means to be mild and gentle in handling things in moderation. He's to respond to things with the appropriate behavior. The pastor must understand a couple of things about contentions in ministry. Number one is this, he cannot take everything personally. If you're thin-skinned, don't get in ministry. <laughs> We're in the culture where everything, everybody's offended. If that's you, don't get into ministry because it won't take you long. The reality is that even if a man seeks to avoid contention, it's going to happen. I'm just telling you, listen, if you're walking around looking for a fight, man, I'm telling you, that's not hard to do. I, I'm you, I try to avoid contention, and guess what? It comes. Because that's ministry. People can say and do some of the most hateful and evil things, even in church. I know. I'm just saying, but the man of God must learn not to take these things personally. Rather, he must understand that a person's attitude toward him is really a reflection of their walk with God. You know, it's like when you read about, uh, and we're going to get into this eventually in the Old Testament and the, in the uh, kings and the prophets, but Israel, they went to Samuel and said, we, we, don't, want you to, we don't want you to be the man of God anymore. We want a king to reign over us. And Samuel goes back and says, God, I can't, I can't believe they're rejecting me. And, and God said, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And you understand, the man of God must look at it in the same terms. That, that he's got to understand that when people are wicked and people are hateful towards him and they view him as their enemy, it's, it's not that they've rejected the man of God, they've rejected God. And they've got a problem with, with God. And the man of God just needs to learn to pray and let God deal with him. I remember one time years ago, we were at camp one year. And uh, Brother Bill Marshall was there. And I'll never forget this. And, and, and I came up to him. And, I, you know, people come up to you and go, well, how's the church doing? I don't know. I'm just a pastor. <laughs> I came up to Brother Bill, you know, and I, Brother Marshall. And I said, hey, brother, I said, How, how's, how's the church doing? And he, said, and he looked at me and he said, I don't know. He said, they're his sheep. He takes care of them. I never forgot that. You're, you're his sheep. So you get mad at me. <laughs> I'm not the one you got to deal with. You got to deal with him. And he's going to deal with you. All I'm going to do is pray. So... I'm just telling you, that, that's, he can't take, but here's the thing. Now watch this. He's got to learn balance in this area as well. And what I mean by that is that though the pastor must not be the cause of contention, you know what, there are times where he must step in and deal with certain situations. And contention may be part of that. And it's not that he wants to cause it, but dealing with that contention may be better than dealing with the consequences they're headed towards. If he doesn't confront it. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, over the years I've had to visit with people because as their shepherd, I could see them drifting from, from God because of the spiritual decisions that they were making in their life that, that were foolish at the time. And you know what? And, and, and I, and I got to say this, that in most cases it's received fairly well and people, respond, people responded to it. A lot of times they'd get right with God. They'd even come back and thank me for recognizing it as their pastor and calling them out on it and saying, you know what, I needed that. Thank you for that. And I'm grateful for that. 
But can I also say this? It's not always been that way. And typically, you know, and, and then what happens is this, not typically, but, but the, the minority in the other cases, they didn't turn out so good and they became angry and defensive. But even in these situations, it's not done with the heart of a brawler. It's not like I'm going out looking for a fight, but rather in love and a desire to see people turn back to the Lord and avoid the serious consequences up ahead. You understand? Sometimes you got to do that. I've had to, do, I've had to go to a guy's house and go get in a truck. We're going for a ride. And then tell his wife, I may bring him back, but I may not. Depends on his answers. Just joking, you know, sort of. Go riding through the Ozark Mountains and have a talk, you know, and go, hey, listen, bro, you, you got some. And I'm telling you, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that, generally speaking, most times, and you ought to be thankful that you have a man of God that's willing to do stuff like that. That cares about you and prays, about, prays for you enough and wants to see you do what, what is right. Now, contentions may develop over the man of God doing right, but if that happens, then he's got to go back to the first point. Because they're just rejecting God, they're not rejecting you. Now let me go to the next thing here. Look at what it says. It says, but patient. Now notice the, <clears throat> notice the punctuation here. So it says, not in verse 3, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, and then the semicolon. And then it says, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. So he's not to be a brawler, he must be patient, but also he's not to be covetous. And this is related to being greedy of filthy lucre. Greed speaks of the love of money, but covetous speaks of the love of material things. And note again that it's also tied with patient along with not a brawler, and he's also not to be covetous. So the pastor must learn to be content and to trust God to supply his needs rather than placing emphasis on material things over spiritual things. Does that make sense? He's supposed to be content and let God supply his needs rather than making his needs all, all you know, his, his primary target of his heart. This isn't just good for me. Amen. Because last time I checked, he's going to say godliness with contentment is great gain. Not just the man of God. Living godly, being content, equals great gain. Not just for me, but for everybody in this room here tonight. Is everybody getting that? I'll tell you, we're, we're a discontented people. And we need to quit. And here's what I, do you know what this is what I have found in my life? Is that when you just trust God with your needs, He does exceeding abundantly above all that I could ask or think. And it's amazing what he does. All right, let's move on to the next one. Okay, move on, preacher. I don't want to hear about this material thing, and you already touched on turkey and eating too much. All right, look at the next thing here. <laughs> look at verses 4 and 5. Some of you are just worried about the time thing and how long this is going to take. Well, we're fixing to move fast. Look at the next thing here. He says, one that ruleth well, verse 4, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity, and notice the parentheses here in verse 5. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? So he must manage his own house. The word ruleth literally means to maintain. It has the idea of leading and managing the home. And a pastor must bear this quality. He must lead his wife. If the wife leads in the home, guess what? She's eventually going to lead in the church. And she's going to lead through the pastor. And I'm going to tell you something, and I've seen that happen, and that's a recipe for disaster in any church. It, listen, it is out of order with God. A pastor's wife is to be submissive and to follow him in the home. And the pastor is to lovingly lead his wife. And he's to have rule over his children. They are to be in subjection to him. And notice it says, with all gravity. And gravity means this. It means honesty and reverence. It means that they're to genuinely respect their father, not just put on a show on Sundays and Wednesdays. And, and notice the parenthetical statement there in verse 5. 
This shows us the purpose of a man needing to bear these characteristics in his life. If he lovingly leads his wife and his children, and they reverence and respect him and follow him, then there's a really good chance that that same type of dynamic will flow right into, right into his relationship with the church as he leads the church. He will lovingly lead them, and they in turn should respect and follow him as he follows Jesus Christ. That's the dynamic that should happen. But if he cannot lead his home, how will he ever be able to lead his church? If you can't get your wife and children to follow your leadership, then how do you expect others to follow your leadership? It's not, listen, these two divine institutions that God created, the home and the church, they both require godly leadership. They both require it. And the man of God must possess it in his home before he can ever have it in the church. That, that's how this works. Now look at verse number 6 here. It says, not a novice. Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. And the word novice means to be new or inexperienced. It's one that's untrained or unskilled for the job. Please note, please note, it does not mean young. You can be old and be a novice. And yet you can also be young and well experienced. In fact, look at 1 Timothy 4.12, over just a chapter over. Here's what Paul tells Timothy, Let no man despise thy youth. The truth of the matter is, Timothy was young, but he wasn't a novice. you realize this? Timothy had been in ministry longer than this church in Ephesus had been in existence. Think about that. He was in ministry before any of these people had been saved. So, so, so you understand, that that's the idea. The pastor does not have to be gray-headed, wrinkled, and on AARP to qualify as a bishop. Now that's funny, but the reality is there are people that sit in church pews just like this one, and they're older than the pastor, and they go, who does he think he is telling me how I'll live my life? Well, maybe you shouldn't despise my youth, you old... Never mind, I'm just... Sorry, old... Stinker. I got some other words in mind, but I'm not supposed to... I'm supposed to behave myself... Just because he's never pastored before doesn't necessarily make him a novice either. I remember when I was voted in as pastor of Bible Baptist Church in Cassville. I'd never served as a pastor before, but I also had experience and I had training. And, 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 and I'm grateful that the people there were very patient with me. But, but I'm telling you, I had served in other positions. I wasn't a, I wasn't a novice. A novice is something, someone that's simply either newly saved or newly called to preach, and they're just unequipped and unskilled and untrained to take the position of a pastor. And the warning is a novice, a novice will not lead with wisdom and with, with the Spirit of God guiding. He will lead in his flesh and in his pride. And in his immaturity in the faith, he will deal with things in the flesh and he will quickly find himself being used more for Satan's glory than God's glory. And that's the idea here. And, and so that's a very dangerous thing. So he cannot be a novice. Now look at the last thing here. Look at verse number 7. It says, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And so here's the last thing tonight. Here's the last qualification. He needs to have manners among the lost. Those that are without, he says. He says, moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. Those that are without are the unsaved and those that may be saved but on the outside of the church. They're those out in the community. And, and listen, this world, this world may not, nor, nor will it ever agree with a godly pastor. You, you just had Thanksgiving with your family and the two things you typically don't talk about is religion and politics. Because the next thing you know, people are going to be throwing mashed potatoes and gravy at one another. So you understand, those things are always going to be controversial. But his manners toward them ought to be the kind of manners that cause them to have respect towards him anyways. How he does his business in the world, how he behaves in the world, 
does not go unnoticed by the world, nor does it for any of us. It does, and I, I remember when I first took the pastor, and I, I don't know, I almost, I almost don't even want to say this on live stream tonight, but when I became the pastor of the church in Cassville, there were some business dealings that were done in the past that were not done correctly. And because of that, it had hurt our church's reputation in our community uh, with several of the business. You know what I did? I sat down and I wrote a letter of apology to all the churches and let them know I was the new pastor here and that business would be done righteously and according to the Word of God. And that if we owed them anything, to let us know because we wanted to take care of it. Because we need to do that. We need to do things right. And a man of God ought to be able to lead in that. And he ought to be able to handle his business in the right way. And even when he goes, listen, this world is getting crazy and chaotic and all of this stuff that's going on. And I realize where to take a stand, but how you stand matters. Just because somebody is living wickedly or doing something foolish or something like that doesn't mean you got to speak up and say something and be ugly about it. You can still, you, you got to learn how to handle yourself in a right manner. And the warning follows much like it did for the previous uh, qualification in verse 6. It says, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. If the pastor has poor manners, he falls into this reproach and the snare of the devil. In essence, what this means is that the pastor that has poor manners becomes more of a stumbling block for people coming to Christ rather than a stepping stone for people to come to Christ. He pushes them away. And again, this doesn't mean that he lays down and he compromises for evil, but it does mean that he has good manners while he stands for the truth among the lost. I, I'm just, listen, I, I saw something the other day that happened in the local grocery store in Gardner down there, and I thought, what an idiot. You don't have to say anything. Just, just keep your mouth shut. And, and, do, and, and, and here's the thing, and I know, and I know preachers today that would do the exact same thing as that guy did, that would say something foolish or something ugly and ruin their reputation in the community. Community, And they're known for having a brawling attitude. And they're known for being, having a striking attitude like this. and stuff. They're disqualified. And they shouldn't even be in ministry. And it's no wonder that you can hardly get kids to come on the bus or families to visit a church anymore. When men of God and people of God have this kind of testimony in their community. Folks, we can stand for what's right and do it with a right spirit and a right attitude. We don't have to go and turn the tables over in Walmart like Jesus did at the temple. That's not the temple. Go in there and buy your groceries, smile, say, hey, hand somebody a track, love on them and be kind to them and pay for it and walk out. Don't be ugly. You just don't have to be. Invite them to church. Let them come in. We'll deal with different things. We'll stand on the Word of God, but we'll give them the gospel of, the, of Jesus Christ that's the answer to all their sin and issues in life. You understand what I'm saying? So here's the thing. These aren't, these, again, these, these are the qualifications of a bishop. And you and I need to know these tonight. If something were ever to happen to me or anything like and again, I'm not going in. Don't start that junk. Don't start rumors. But you need to know these things. But here's the other thing. These are things that I need to have in my life. And these are things you need to be having in your life as well. That's right. Let's all stand tonight.